Hey, and welcome to the Humanity Church Podcast. So excited that you're here. We hope that you enjoy this week's talk and it really connects to your life in a meaningful way. If you're live in the Pomona area, we would love to have you at one of our gatherings at 10 a.m. or at one of our humanity groups that meet all throughout the week all over the city. If you want more information about our community, you can go to www.humanitychurch.com or download our app on your phone on Apple or Android. If you like what you're hearing here and want to continue to support the ongoing work at Humanity, you can text the word Humanity Church, one word, to 77977 and give back financially in just about 10 seconds. Hey, and here's this week's talk that was given live at our Sunday gathering at Humanity Church. Well, as, as a pastor and a coach and a trainer, I get to talk to people about all kinds of things uh, in their life. Oftentimes, people come to me with what they want to talk about, and we have those conversations. So I talk everything about people's hurts and pains and disappointments, about people's, the things that, that people feel like are holding them back from stepping into the life that they're called to, people's spiritual struggles and the things that they long for the most in life. But one of the things I actually love to talk about the most with people, and that gets me the most excited and oftentimes get them the most excited about is the things that they dream about, the things that they, they long for the most in life, and oftentimes the things that they have never even shared with other people that they imagine for their life. I've had the privilege over the last few years of being a facilitator at Western University in their interprofessional in, in education program, and I, I essentially get to work with doctors, uh, studying doctors in every field, and uh, talk through how they communicate and collaborate with one another. And one of the icebreakers that I love doing with these new medical students who take themselves very seriously uh, is I ask them the question, what would you want to do with your life if you weren't becoming a doctor or if you weren't becoming a nurse or if you weren't becoming a dentist or an ophthalmologist? And I love the answers. Because it's amazing how many people said, oh, you know, I actually was on my way to becoming like a professional chef, but then I decided that I was going to do brain surgery, right? Or I, I was, I really would love to like paint, or I, I'm a soccer player, or I, I, I love engineering, and, and all these crazy things that you would never associate with people who are going into the medical field, they start dreaming, and it's, it's actually fun to see them come alive for a minute in the middle of the stress of medical school around the things that they've dreamed about over their lives. The thing is that I know about you and I know about me because I know this to be true about all humanity is that we dream for the extraordinary. We, we have things inside of us that we long for, that, that are bigger than us, that seem beyond our capacity, beyond our reach. Some of us are more willing to go there than others. And I use the word willing because it's not like some people are born with this capacity to dream and others aren't. It's not like some people long for a bigger future and others don't. It's really, are you willing to step into that space and have that conversation? See, because the thing is, children do this so naturally. When I talk to my kids and I ask them like, hey, what do you, be, what do you wanna be when you grow up? They, they don't think like, well, you know, what's most practical and what's gonna have the best return on investment in terms of education? They're just like, I'm gonna be the president or I'm gonna be an astronaut, right? Or I'm gonna be a, whatever it may be. And, and so they have no problems or inhibitions dreaming about what's possible and looking into what's next for them. 
But what I found is that somewhere along the, somewhere along the road, we, we lose or that, that sense of wonderment and dreaming gets dampened or we lose it completely or we're unwilling to go there again because we tried and we got hurt or we put ourselves out there and we lost or we engaged and it didn't happen exactly the way that we thought we were supposed to. And then we find ourselves in the rat race of life, just going through the routine, all the disappointments and the wounds and the anger. And we find ourselves eventually saying, well, this is just the way the world is and I have to deal with it. And we lose this sense of dreaming, the sense of wonderment, the sense of possibilities for what's next and the future that's ahead of us. Which is why I think Christmas time is such a powerful time of the year. And I love what it calls out of us as people because one of the things that Christmas does is that it beckons us to dream again. It beckons us to see a world beyond what's just in the rat race that we find ourselves stuck in, to to imagine a world that is more defined by faith in believing things that we can't see, to imagine a world that is is more filled with love and connection and intimacy and and belonging with one another, To, to, to imagine a world that is filled with the possibility of hope, whether that is sugar plums or whether that is family or connection. There's this, there's this hoping at Christmas time that we all step into. We, we at, for like a few weeks, believe in a world that could be free and could be generous and is filled with all kinds of new possibilities that lives inside of us. And at Christmas time, I believe our souls are reminded of who we are. Not just as individuals, but we're reminded of of who we are as a community, as a collective. But the beautiful thing is that at Christmas time, when we answer that call, when we start leaning into the possibilities of a world that is exponentially more beautiful than we can see and hear and touch and smell right now, it actually allows us to rest. Strangely enough, when we start dreaming again, we can put down all the striving and all the working and all the hard things that we have to go to, to to just keep ourselves alive. And all that energy gets now shifted over to, now I get to give myself to something that's more exciting and to something that's more beautiful and to something that seems more fulfilling. All that cynicism that we carry around gets released for a moment. And all that cynicism that has been exhausting us gets put down for something bigger in the midst of this because your soul was never designed to carry that much defeat or that much apathy or that much cynicism. And so I want to go to the quintessential Christmas story in Luke chapter two, starting in verse one. And it says this to us. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that the census should be taken in the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, to the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. 
When the angel had left them and gone into heaven and the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. You've probably heard this story a thousand times, and I, I want to focus today on this interesting character that we find in the scriptures, the, the shepherd here. It's always an, an odd moment, I think, where the angels show up to the shepherd, but I, I believe that it actually shows us really profoundly the intentions of God, not only in the Christmas story, but in our lives as well, and what he's wanting to do in and through us in the middle of this. Because this is how this passage starts, and this is how the announcement of God himself starts. And the interesting thing about it is that it's, it's quite ordinary. There, there's not a lot of extravagance to it, other than obviously choirs of angels in the sky. But it starts out with shepherds were living out in the fields nearby, and this is who the angels choose to show up to. And I mean, this is an odd really odd group to choose of all the people that you could choose to give the message of Jesus to. Because here's the thing, they were in the middle of a census. Now in our world, we take a census and we hire census workers and the census workers come to your house or they give you a piece of paper, you fill it out and you send it back. In this day, you had to go back to your hometown. So could you imagine every 10 years, everyone bought a plane ticket or a train ticket or a rented a car and went back to your birthplace. And everyone was there for a season of time while the government could count who's where, how many kids do they have, how old are they now, what are their jobs, how much money do they make. So literally, everyone who is everyone is now back in their hometown, and here they are in Bethlehem, so they could have chosen anyone that they wanted to. Yes, Bethlehem was a little humble town, probably like a little dot on the map in the middle of this, but there were probably kings there that were somewhere suited up in the inn. There were business workers who were in the town square. There were wealthy and the mansions nearby. But this starts out with there were shepherds keeping watch of their flock by night. He chooses the nomadic blue-collar workers over everyone else that he could possibly choose in this moment, the lowest of the low. In fact, when you look at the status of shepherds in society, they, they were literally the lowest of the low. In fact, the, the only job that was essentially beneath them were like the poop collectors at that time who went around and collected human feces and animal feces, not to get too graphic on this Sunday morning. But they were essentially this. In fact, when you read through literature that was written on the shepherds, they were literally known as people who were the, like the lowest of society. See, there were things that are said of them written like this, like no one should ever be obligated to rescue a shepherd who has fallen into a pit. That was like a quote from a book. Another thing said, to buy wool, milk, or lamb from a shepherd was forbidden on the assumption that it would be stolen property. So, so you bought something a shepherd, they're just like, look, just assume that it's stolen, right? They, they, like, and then they, they, literally every shepherd was unable to fulfill any civic duty. They were not allowed to vote. They were not allowed to be on a judge or jury. They were not allowed to give themselves to service. And they had their rights completely stripped because they were crooks and they were untrusted and they were the dirtiest low of the low of society. 
And this is who God chooses, right? This is who he chooses in the middle of this. I I mean, what do these shepherds dream of for their life? When you're talking about like, I mean, what are they literally? Are they they like, oh, you know, the the biggest thing that I'm up to is like wool or knitting or maybe a good lamb chop every now and then, right? But they don't have a lot. When you think about this population, you're not thinking about like, this is the top of the top of who you might want to show up to. On top of this, they were homeless, they had nowhere to live, so they were nomadic in the middle of this. They were dwelling in a field nearby. There wasn't even an address, right? It wasn't like they were at the pub, or they were at the store, or they were at their house that they lived in. No, and I mean, if, if this is the people that you are choosing to put the most important message of humanity into, how do you even tell them where they live, right? There's no address. So it's, that, I mean, it's literally like, go to the rock and turn left, and then you'll find a tuft of grass and keep going past the river, and you might find us there if we happen to be there that day, right? But this is who God chooses in the middle of this. They weren't anything special. And on top of this, they weren't really doing anything special. They weren't special, and they weren't in a special location, and they weren't doing anything special in this. All that we know is that they were keeping watch over their flocks. I mean, I might even understand this if it was like the shepherds who had the best of the best of the wool. I mean, the wool that was going to Gucci sweaters, right? But no, it's just like, there's nothing said about them in the middle of this. And they weren't even particularly religious. It wasn't like, hey, these, these amazing devout shepherds who were having a prayer meeting and speaking in tongues in the middle of the field, right? None of this was happening. See, I think our human minds just naturally expect that an extraordinary God would choose the extraordinary to come to. That an extraordinary God would look out at all of humanity and say, who is valuable and worthy of my coming to them? Who who is the most profound people that I could give myself to and engage in here and now? But what I love that we see over and over and over again is that God loves to come to the ordinary and do the unexpected. He loves to come to the most unexpected and do the extraordinary in these moments. See, because what God is in the business of over and over and over again is taking the uncommon and making it, uh, taking the common and making it uncommon. Taking the unextraordinary and making it extraordinary. His love transforms the common to the uncommon and he makes all things new. One of the most beautiful characteristics of God that I think we may not grasp any time this side of eternity is found in 1 Peter 1, 5. And it says, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. See, this is an ongoing defining characteristic of who God is holy. We, in fact, people who don't even know God are like, yeah, I don't understand, like holy Bible, right? And God is holy in some way, shape, or form. And what this word means is, is that he is separate. He is unlike anything else. He is distinct. He is higher and bigger and removed from any definition that we have here and now. This is who he is. He is unlike anything that you could ever imagine. Have you ever been around someone that feels like that? Like just like beyond your reach, beyond what you could imagine, beyond what you could, could ever be around. I, I remember when I was working in LA, I went into work one day, I was working at a church out there and I, I went into work and uh, it was one of those days where I didn't have any meetings, I wasn't expecting to really do anything. I came in a little late and I had thrown on some shorts and a ratty t-shirt and I had gotten into work and I thought I'm just going to put myself in my office work and get out of there. And I was in, I was in the office and 
Towards the end of the day, my boss came in and comes in and he says, hey, Nathan, we have a, 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 like a group that wants to come in and they need someone to do a strengths finder presentation for them. Now, I, I do some work with this assessment called StrengthsFinder, which helps people discover what their strengths and talents are based on science that's produced by Gallup. And, and so I said, yeah, no, no problem. I said, look, I'm, I'm kind of ratty. Like, uh, is this going to be okay? Like, is this a corporate client? What is this? He's like, you know, I have no one else. I don't really care. You do it. And I said, great, no problem. I will make that happen. So I figured I could stay there and stay a little later. And uh, so five o'clock rolls around, six o'clock rolls around, and they're scheduled to be in at 6.30. And I get an email from him saying, by the way, these are all the fashion models that, got, that just got done with Fashion Week in LA. <laughs> and they're also gonna have a few designers that showed on the red carpet that week. And I'm just in my head going, no, 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 right? And I'm like, it's too late to go do anything about this. I can't move. I'm just like, we are stuck. And I, 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 I was like, man, you told me. You told me that it was not a big deal. And here we are. And so here I am in this room. And I remember as they start coming into the room, here is like supermodel after supermodel coming into the room. I mean, gorgeous women and men that are just like chiseled. And I'm like, hi, I'm Nathan, right? <laughs> And here I am gonna spend the next two hours with you explaining to you how awesome you are, right? I mean, I just felt so gross and disgusting and low in that moment, and I just felt so extraordinarily common in that moment because I was in the presence of something beyond me in that space. See, when you're in the presence of something uncommon, you, you just feel extraordinarily common extraordinarily low, extraordinarily ordinary. And I think sometimes when we think about God and his holiness, we think about him almost like a mean girl, right? Like a mean girl who's just like, yeah, I'm holy, not up for that, right? And like, you're, you're cute, thank you for that, but they're not really up to engaging in this level of relationship or connection or conversation. And we've all experienced that. We've all experienced this, this feeling common or unworthy or, or like we're not able to connect to this higher being. And uncommon is usually disconnected from love. Usually those who are defined as uncommon are usually not the people who, who are the exemplary lovers and givers and generous and caring and kind. Or uncommon is used as a weapon to hurt and destroy people who are known as common in the same way. But I love that this passage continues in 1 Peter 1.16. It says, but it is written, be holy because I am holy. See, it starts out by saying, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. It is written, be holy because I am holy. See, this is what God does. He reveals to us how uncommon he is, how extraordinary he is, how holy he is, how bigger than us we could ever imagine he is. And then he invites us into that holiness when we connect to him. He doesn't say like, let me just show you how separate you are from me. But he says, look, I'm inviting you to connect to me, the God who is uncommon, who is holy, who is extraordinary. And I'm inviting you into this way of living because his love longs to make us uncommon. See, I, I, when we talk about holiness, oftentimes... We talk about like the opposite of holy being evil. And we think about these like on a spectrum. On one side is, is holy and one side is evil. And one side is light and, one, light and one side is darkness. But really the opposite of holy is common. It is ordinary. 
It is plain. It is what blends in. See, when you're disconnected from Jesus, you're not evil, but you are just common. It's just a common humanity that, that we find ourselves in, a, a base level of humanity that, that is not actually what we were designed for in life. Your soul was actually not made to be common, and yet when we are disconnected from the holy, that is the only option that is available to us. But the second that you are connected to the holy, to the uncommon, he calls you into a life uncommon. He transforms the ordinary, the mundane, the regular, the plain into something breathtaking because he is holy. And this is why I believe he comes to shepherds in the middle of this. This is why he chooses shepherds over kings, over businessmen and women, over the powerful, over the wealthy, because it was, a direct, it was a direct declaration to humanity that no matter who you are, no matter where you've come from, no matter what baggage you have, no matter what exists in your past, no matter how plain and ordinary and ungifted and no matter what your status is, God has come for you. And he is connected to you. And here's the beautiful thing, is that you have not done anything to connect or create that favor. It's not like the shepherds were extraordinary and God was like, oh, thanks for throwing me a bone. Here I am, right? It's not because of who you are, it's because of who he is. And in his holiness, he invites you into that space and he longs for you to step into this life uncommon known as holy. It's the one, it's the, here's the thing, it's one thing to be chosen. But it's another thing to be made extraordinary in the choosing. It's one thing to say like, hey, I'm pulling you out. But it's another thing to say, hey, I'm pulling you out. And now I am establishing you as something beyond what you could ever ask or imagine for in life. I remember the first time that I went to Vegas with Marla. Up until that moment, I was just a good Baptist kid. Let me just tell you, never gambled, right? <laughs> then I marry Marla and she takes me to Vegas, right? And... And I found myself in the city of sin, right? And here I am. And all of a sudden, I'm surrounded by slot machines, right? And, and now everything inside of me was like this wicked, perverse generation, right? <laughs> but there was another voice that was said, we could win a lot of money, honey, right? <laughs> So we made a rule, and we're like, we get $20 each for the whole weekend, that's it. As soon as that's gone, we're done, and we're like, we're, we're good. We're good with that. And so I took my $20, I cashed it in, and I got my little card to go start playing my slot machines. I put that thing in the slot machine, I pulled the wheel, and then went doot, doot, doot. Had no idea what I was doing, I just pressed buttons, and then all of a sudden it's doot, 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 and it starts flashing, you've won. Big letters, right? You've won. And then I look down at the screen, and it says, you've won $5. Now, I start screaming like a schoolgirl because in my mind, I just put in $20 and got back $5. I have made a 25% return on investment here in this moment, right? No one does that. And what other investment do you get that from? So I'm like literally screaming in the casino about the $5 that I've won and crowds start coming over because they think, I realize, I just, I didn't know that people won millions, right? I'm like, I want five bucks, right? And so people start coming over, they're crowding around, they're looking around, my wife's rolling her eyes next to me, right? 
And I'm like, I want $5. I want $5 because it was an uncommon experience for me. <laughs> I was like, this is crazy right here in this moment. See, it's one thing to be chosen. It's one thing to be made extraordinary in the middle of all of that and to recognize, oh my gosh, there is something that I have been given that is so crazy that no one else around me could recognize because I was expecting something big in that moment and it came. See, because God loves to show off how big he is by making your life uncommon. No matter how little you believe in him, he believes in you. It's enough. And that's the beautiful thing about connecting with him was that he actually made you for this. See, had he come to kings, had he come to CEOs, had he come to the wealthy, the, the natural response would have been like, of course. Of course that's who God would have come to. Of course that's who God would want to invest in and give himself to. But shepherds immediately made things new. It disrupted the status quo. People were confused, like, wait, the Messiah that we've been looking for has come to shepherds? And this altered both their world and everyone else around them. It transformed their perception of who God was, and it transformed everyone else's perception of who God was. See, and I love that he did come in the middle of them keeping watch over their flock by night. He essentially came to them in the middle of a workday, right in the middle, right in the middle of them working. See, here's the thing, even his timing was unexpected. Even his timing was not, was not the best, right? Here in this moment, his timing was unexpected, which is, by the way, often what God does. I have found in my life and the life of other people that when God moves and when he wants to do something really extraordinary, it's often either at the most unexpected or the most inopportune times. Because God's like, look, I'm on my schedule, not yours. <laughs> and I will move when I move and I will call you into the extraordinary when I decide to call you into the extraordinary. See, it's not usually in the middle of a gathering or a prayer time that God does the most powerful move in my life. See, because when God moves, he interrupts everything. It transforms everything. He just breaks into the middle of the, the race that you have been running, the rat race that you have been running. And this was the middle of a workday. I mean, I imagine there are few shepherds were thinking like, oh my gosh, what are we gonna do with all these sheep, right? Here we are, hundreds of sheep, and you're gonna come to us now in the middle of tending to our flocks? This is a really inopportune, gee, thanks God, right? <laughs> because the new will always feel like an interruption to your status quo. The, the uncommon being ushered into your life will always feel like an interruption to who you've been and how you've seen yourself up until that fact, up until that point. In fact, it might actually feel incredibly offensive at times. It'll make you feel scared and horrified, which is why our first response when God starts interrupting our common life is often terror. It's often terror. And that's what happened here. Now, yes, seeing, like camping out in the middle of a field and seeing a, like, a choir of angels show up would be a little horrifying. It would be a little disturbing, right? I mean, yes, that in and of itself. But I think the reason why the shepherds were terrified in this moment was one part, here we are in the middle of the field and there's angels now talking to us. Yes, enough to be terrified in that. But I think the other thing that was so terrifying for them was that they knew that everything was about to change. They just knew. They knew that their entire life was about to be altered because of this moment and they could never ever again go back to being ordinary shepherds. 
There was an impossibility of going back to the life that they had come from and stepping into that. There was something terrifying about that invitation, that calling, that moment of transformation. See, how we respond to the terrifying, at times, interruption of God in our lives when he calls us into the extraordinary will determine everything else. Because he will show up in the most inopportune, awkward moments, and he will say, now's the time to have that conversation and to forgive that person. He will show up in the most awkward, inopportune times, and he will say, yeah, I know you're broke, and I know things are crazy, and now's the time to sacrifice and start giving of your resources. He will show up in the most awkward and inopportune times and he will say, it is now time to step out and to pursue that calling on your life, that assignment on your life that I have placed on you now. I know the timing doesn't make sense. I know it doesn't feel right. I know it doesn't look like the right situation, but I am calling you to step into right now. And sometimes the terror of his holiness is the best thing that could ever happen to you. And... Which is why whenever these angels show up, and especially to these shepherds, while they're singing Christmas carols, they start out with, don't be terrified, right? Could you imagine if carolers showed up at your door and you open the door and they're like, don't be terrified, right? (laughs) Joy to the world. (laughs) You'd be like, "Why, why? Why should I be terrified, right? Because they were horrified in this moment of what was about to happen to them. See, it's a lot easier to say it's a lot harder to do. When we find ourselves in this moment, we live in a society that elevates feelings to exponential levels and puts all kinds of ridiculous emphasis on them. But here's the thing. It is possible to feel scared about what God is calling you into and move forward at the same time. It is absolutely possible to feel anxious and still choose to engage with everything inside of you. It is absolutely possible to feel uncomfortable and still make yourself available when God's calling you into the extraordinary life in front of you because Jesus has now come, he is making all things new, and he is inviting you into the uncommon. And I love that the angels declare that this is good news of great joy. I bring you good news of great joy. And this was that Jesus was coming into the world because he was about to make all things extraordinary, all things uncommon. This is the good news. In fact, the word gospel that we use to describe the coming of Jesus and the story that he ushers into humanity is known as the gospel, and it literally is translated as the good news for the world. It was what was coming, that Jesus was going to bring humanity this great joy because no longer were we stuck in life uncommon here. See, I think that we're just more comfortable with our ability to live a sorrow, mundane, lacking joy life than we are in our ability to step into the uncommon and experience joy at a profound level. See, I think sometimes we just use God as an excuse as to why we don't step into that. Meanwhile, he's the one saying, no, 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 it's the opposite. I'm actually inviting you into a life that is filled with joy, that is uncommon, that is beyond the mundane and beyond the ordinary. Let's not get that twisted. See, maybe it's just a coincidence, or maybe it's not, that at Christmas time we are ushered, invited into joy because it is the moment that God said, I choose the uncommon for you. I choose joy for you. Come bring joy. He is our chance in this. 
I, see, I, I think, I know I've said this so many times, but I just think God is a joy fiend. I just think he, I just think he is like so into joy. He, he just craves it. He is longing for it for your life. He is inviting you into it on a regular basis. In many ways, he is like this moral hedonist that is just like, what is every path that will lead you both to life and joy? Like, and just inviting us down into those places, into those places of abundance and joy and life. See, if love is his motivation, then joy is his wake that he leaves and we get to lean into it. And he comes to these shepherds and says, this is good news, great joys. And these guys really didn't have much to be joyful about. And when you look at their life, they're just on repeat, they're on recycle, they're the lowest of the low, and they didn't have a lot to be excited about. But the angels come to them and they share with them this good news of who God is and who has come for them. And then they turn in like kids in a candy shop that cannot stop talking about it. In fact, they're like, leave the sheep, let's go, right? Like, we gotta tell everyone about this. Have you ever had news that was so overwhelming that you just like could not keep it in? Right, you know what I'm talking about? I remember when Marla and I first found out that we were pregnant with Jackson. I, and we were just like, we gotta wait till 12 weeks because that's like the viable moment. We gotta hold off and we don't wanna let people in on that. And I, I was like, we couldn't, we could not help but tell people. I remember like three weeks into this, I was at Josh Garcia's graduation party and I'm having a conversation with Scott Lucas, one of our worship leaders. And, and I'm sitting there and we're talking and I'm like, yeah, you know, when the baby comes and he's like, what? And I'm like, because <laughs> it, 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 could, it couldn't help coming out of my mouth. And every Sunday we would come home from church and Marla would be like, I told so-and-so. <laughs> And I'll be like, I told these five so-and-sos, right? Because we just could not help getting it out of our mouths because it was good news that was filled with great joy that just had to get out. See, the interesting thing is that Christmas is a reminder that God is saying, come and follow me and I will bring you great news of great joy. And, and people get giddy with the reality of this joy that God is bringing to them. See, wouldn't it be a tragedy to live a joyless life only to find out that the entire time God was attempting to fill you with a joy so big that it would literally burst out of your mouth and to get to the end of your days and recognize, oh, the whole point of this was that I might be filled with the joy of the Lord in this life. See, the interesting thing is that he brings this news to shepherds, but he doesn't say it's just for you. He says this is for you, but it is for all people. Now, this is a horrible marketing strategy. I'm just letting you know, right? This is a horrible marketing strategy. We already talked about like, why would God come to the shepherds? Like, yeah, put it there. But here's the thing. This is not the people who you tell to get the greatest message out to the world, right? I mean, he essentially is like, let's find the lowest class that are homeless and let's give them the greatest message and let them have the marketing strategy. Let them manage this message getting out. And, and then his only other marketing strategy is let's put a star in the sky, right? Not, not even like a banner or skywriting, just a star and homeless shepherds, that's it. I mean, this is, the, this is God's announcement plan. This was his birth announcement, right? This is how he decided to get the news out about the greatest news that the world had ever heard in this moment. And somehow, the entire world, through a star and some shepherds that were homeless in a field nearby, somehow through that strategy, the entire world found out that the Savior had been born to a group of shepherds that encountered Jesus. Never underestimate the power of someone who has had a life-altering encounter with the power of Jesus. 
never underestimate the potential of someone who has been transformed by an uncommon God and has moved them into an uncommon life. See, the mark that you have been in the presence of Jesus is that you are compelled to go and to share the joy that you have been given. See, this is another way that God moves your life from the common to the uncommon. It's not just so that you can like sit there and go, look how uncommon I am, right? <laughs> look how amazing I am and look where I used to be. This was, a, this was a glorious divine makeover. No, see, your life is no longer consumed by the ordinary and the mundane and now your life becomes the vehicle through which Jesus makes the world new. Your life becomes the vehicle through which the message of faith and hope and life and joy and freedom gets delivered to the world around you. See, there is nothing worse in my book than a, and nothing more tragic than a life wasted as mundane and common and ordinary when you were never meant to live there especially when Christmas is like screaming at us, I have come for you, and I have come to make your life extraordinary. See, last week the scriptures dared to press us into the light, to press us into the illumination of who God is. This week, let's dare to dream of the life that God is calling us into. Let's release the common and the ordinary and the mundane, not because we've listened to a nice motivational speech, but because God has come for you. And in that, he makes all things new. He takes the uncommon, he takes the common and he makes it uncommon. He takes the unextraordinary and he moves it into extravagance. And this is what he has called us into at Christmas time, not just for you, but for every person that you connect with. Let's pray. Jesus, God, I thank you that you are holy, that you are so much bigger, that you are so much greater, that you are so much, God, you are so much holier. And I thank you that in your holiness, you do not use it to shame us or to condemn us or to hold us as insignificant, but you invite us into your holiness, God. You call us to be holy as you are holy, God. I pray that you would remind us this week that you've called us into the extraordinary. You've called us into the uncommon. You've called us to leave behind the mundane, regular life and to step into the future that is so much bigger than we can ask or imagine. And this morning, if you're here and you've not yet connected to Jesus, if you're here in person or you're online, and maybe even you've connected to Jesus, but you're like, man, I don't feel like I've connected him in this way, that my life has been transformed in any way. Maybe that was like a religious thing that you did a long time ago, or maybe you recognize, man, this is, this is not the life that, that I'm living. There's nothing extraordinary about it. Today, God is calling you into a relationship connection with him. He's calling you just to step into a place where he becomes Lord and he takes everything and transforms it into the extraordinary. But it starts with you laying down your life and giving it over to him. 
So if that's you, if you're online, you can just click that button that says, today I choose to follow Jesus. If you're, if you're here, I just want you to pray this prayer with me. It's not magic words. It's just a simple prayer, letting him know that you're connecting to him. You just pray, dear Jesus, I give you my life. I know that I am broken. I am ordinary. And I lay that down. I know that you came and you died for me and you came back to life so that I might live. So I make you Lord and I thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for joining us on the Humanity Church Podcast. We hope that this was a meaningful experience and we look forward to connecting again next week for another conversation around what it looks like to live by faith, to be known by love and to be a voice of hope. Again, for more information about Humanity Church, you can visit us online at humanitychurch.com. And if you want to support the ongoing work here at Humanity Church, including this podcast, you can give online in about 10 seconds by texting the word Humanity Church, one word, to 77977. Thanks and have an amazing week.